I don't think we can get through this life. I don't think we can get through childhood or our teenage years without having an inner critic. Because I think it's something, it's just a part of us. And some of us work around it. Some of us, like as a coach, I help my clients transform their inner critic because it's a part of us. It is something that we've created to protect ourselves. We all have one. And I think at some point in our lives, it serves us. But once we start growing, once we start shining, that's when it's really going to start screaming and we'll start hearing it. And if we know that we can do something about it, then do something about it. So my gremlin story was you're not worthy. And that protected me by telling me I'm not worthy so that if somebody else told me I wasn't worthy, it, it wouldn't hurt as badly because I already knew that. That's Kelsey Abbott and I'm Brian Falchuk. The Do A Day Podcast. Will you hear from the most inspiring people who have been through hard times, overcome them, and have turned around to help others with what they've learned? I'm your host, Brian Falchuk. I know because I've lived it myself. I've written about it in my book, Do A Day, and that's why I'm bringing you this show. Remember, today's a new day. Go out and do it. Hey, day doers. Welcome to another episode of the Do A Day podcast, where I try to bring the inspirational stories and message of other people and how they've overcome and achieved more in their lives to you so you can do the same. I have someone on the show today, which um, there's, there's a huge backstory to it in terms of time, but this is Kelsey Abbott, who's a confidence coach, a triathlete, and um, just a pretty awesome woman all around. So Kelsey and I actually went to college together and didn't know each other at all. It was a small school, so I definitely recognized her. I don't know if she recognized me, but the funny thing is, is Elizabeth McCourt, who I also have on the show, in another episode, um, after I was interviewing her, she's like, you know what? You really should connect with my friend Kelsey. She has a show. She'd be great on your show. And I think you guys would just hit it off. And when I looked into her, I once I saw her picture, I was like, oh my God, I think that's a girl who went to college with me who like you you'll get it as we talk in the story but she's tall she's super fit she's super athletic and a lot of people might stand in judgment and be like oh she has it easy you know she hit the the genetic lottery jackpot and everything physically has been super easy for her but she shares with you that you know it's not always what it seems and it's not as simple as just having physical capabilities and just because you may appear to have those capabilities, it doesn't mean that you always did. And doesn't mean that you didn't have to work for it. So I'm, I'm really glad to be able to share her story with you today. And also just the way that she goes about her confidence coaching work. You know, she's not, um, you'd think like being an athlete and, and being a competitive athlete that she would be very like rah-rah, in your face, all amped up. She's not. She's actually pretty, I wouldn't say subdued, but pretty chill. And has this very natural way of just having like a conversation to bring it out and to talk you through those values, those feelings, that sort of sense of self-valuation that you need to really, you know, help move you to the next level. And, and ultimately, like if you don't start from a place of confidence, not egotism, but confidence, then are you really going to be able to achieve everything that you actually are capable of achieving? So I'm super psyched to bring Kelsey to the show and to have her share her episode, her story with all of you. Um, I have a feeling this won't be the last time. Like we definitely, 
could go on for hours and hours and just really enjoy getting into this whole discussion because it's sort of, you know, it's like we're on the same wavelength, so it's pretty easy to just click. And I think that a lot of good stuff comes out as a result of that. Anyway, without further ado, let me get into sharing Kelsey Abbott with all of you. Kelsey Abbott, thank you for coming on today. I'm psyched to be here, Brian. Thank you so much. Yeah, this is, um, it's just weird for me in, in a good way, weird, but weird to be connected that, I mean, I told you this before, but we went to college together. I saw you on the regular, like you stood out um, and we'll get into all that of why you stood out and what that has meant for you through your, your journey through life. But um, I don't think I ever said a word to you in the years that we were in this small little microcosm of a place. And then like, here we are. And I probably said more to you between this interview and when you have me on your show than a lot of people in my life at this point, which is just kind of funny the way things work out. It is wacky. I feel like I truly believe that some people are supposed to be in our lives and it, it depends on the timing and they're supposed to be there for a certain amount of time. And it's like our cross paths, our paths crossed in college but we weren't really supposed to be connected yet. Yeah. It was just prepping us for later. That is very fair. There was, I will say, I, I don't think I told you this before, but there's a little bit of fear on my part, um, <laughs> <laughs> which I'll admit, I was like, wow, she's intimidating. Um, <laughs> really? And I, I don't know why, um, but maybe we can, we can get into all that as like, why would I have thought that? So all right, let, let's let's jump into your story. Like, who are you? What the heck do you do? What's Find Your Awesome all about? Like, what what's your deal? So I am a confidence coach, and I believe that everyone is awesome. I believe that I believe that we are all so much more powerful than we can possibly wrap our heads around, and that there is this thing within us, this inner. Some people call it an inner genius. Some people refer to it as their heart, their soul, their passion. I call it the awesome. And it is completely unique in each one of us. And society, like as we grow up, as we go through school, as we become like normal human beings, it, we're taught to squash that awesome. Yes. Don't be different. Don't stand out. Fit in. Be normal. Follow the rules. So I help people learn to love themselves and let that awesome shine. I was just thinking, it's like, we're told we're quirky. Mm, yeah. And it's like, I was saying this to someone today is she's like, I want to be brilliant at some really weird thing that I'm like the world expert on. And I'm like, it's the difference between being called quirky for it or being like being seen as having your niche. Like, it's really the exact same thing. It's all just how people want to label you. Like either way, yeah, you've got your scene, you know? Yes. I love that perspective. It takes me back to actually being a kid. I used to, I'd go out to the garage and I was an only child <laughs> and I'd go out to the garage and I'd grab like the most random things and I'd like set little projects for myself. Like I, the memory that just flashed back for me is like, like a wiffle ball and a frisbee. And I wanted to bounce that ball on the frisbee as many times as I possibly could. I don't know how many summer nights I spent out in the driveway just like bouncing that ball. On the edge or the, the uh, flat side? On the, on the like flipped over part of the frisbee. Okay. On the flat side. Yeah, no, I wasn't like super talented. I was going to say like you're doing that <laughs> on the edge like once is that's about as much as I'm going to get. No, no, I've just spent hours on that, that little project. 
I have no, I have no recollection of the numbers I got to at the time. I was just going to ask you if you remembered that. I think there's a whole story behind that. Then I'm sure there is. So what? I mean, aside from your amazing frisbee wiffle ball bouncing skills, mm-hmm. like you're you're quite an outstanding athlete. So what's what's your like? Tell us that piece of your story. And and you, I mean, that's that's part of what I saw you as in college was you were, um, I was going to say a professional athlete, but you, we were a college athlete at that point. I was a college athlete. I was. I didn't have to wear the Bowdoin swimming shirt because people would come up and ask me where the pool was on visiting student day. Anyway, they just knew. Yeah. Yeah. So let's see. I I started out as a gymnast. Actually, I started out in ballet, and that didn't really go very well because I didn't like it. I was in ballet, so I could take jazz, and then when I got to jazz, it was a. It was like ballet. I was very disappointed. So then I started it in gymnastics and I'm just shy of six feet. So I quickly was told I was too tall for that. And then I announced to my parents that I wanted to join the swim team. And they were kind of stunned at first because we had belonged to a country club. And I'd, I think I'd tried the swim team where the six and unders swam the width of the pool mm-hmm. and cried. The whole thing was just traumatic for me. So. Yeah, I went and tried out for the swim team at the Y. Totally fell in love with it. It was horrible. It was like <laughs> absolutely horrible. And I was nine or just turning nine. And I was with all the like five and six-year-olds. And then when I was 12, things started to click. That was probably the peak of my swimming career. But I kept swimming throughout high school and college. I added water polo in high school. and um absolutely fell in love with that sport actually also started out horrible Mm. at water polo um and then after after college actually in after college i remember everyone else on the swim team being like i can't wait for something to be done and Mm. i was i was like well i'm not feeling that way i i loved the training so in grad school i went to duke and the i was in the I'm a marine biologist by training. So the marine lab had a triathlon like two weeks after classes started. And one of my brand new friends said to me, Hey, do you want to do the triathlon? I was like, I don't, I I haven't trained. I don't know how I want to do a triathlon someday, but okay. Yes. Did you run or ride or, I mean, obviously you, you had the swimming part down. I had the swimming. I had a mountain bike. Okay. And I ran, but for me at the time, running, running was hard and brand new for me because I was a swimmer. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't do land sports. I remember running 5Ks in like 28, 29 minutes and feeling, being like toast Mm -hmm. for the rest of the day. So I've dropped like nine minutes off that time. Yeah. Things change. Yeah. I figured, I figured it out. Um, but yeah, I did, I did that Marine lab race, had a blast, have no idea how I did, but I had enough fun so that the next year when I was working on my master's project, I was like, I want, I want to do something with my body. I want a, a challenge. And I found a triathlon that was like an hour away. I convinced my then boyfriend, now husband to join me in it. We found a beginner triathlon plan online was he into it yet or was he not 
Like he wasn't doing these things anyway, was no. he? Okay. No. And he was a runner by background. He'd, he'd been a skier and a rugby player. Okay. But he was just a naturally wicked fast runner. Yeah. Um, and a much better cyclist than I was. Like he had the bike handling skills from growing up in Montreal, riding through the city. Wow. And I was still like, I got to get off this mountain bike, <laughs> which is like driving a tractor. Oh, you did the first one on, on a mountain road. bike. I did the first yeah. one on a mountain bike. I did a lot of the training for the second one on a mountain bike. How long was the first one? It was a, I, was it a sprint? It was a sprint. It was All a sprint. Right. And I don't even know if it was a full sprint. I don't remember. I don't even really remember crossing the finish line on that one. <laughs> but the next one was an official sprint. Okay. And there were real triathletes there. I remember being so intimidated by the bikes, the real bikes. And at this point, I had a road bike. But I had gone to a bike shop that was an hour away from where I was in school. It was the only bike shop that had a road bike that would fit me. Right. And I think that was also under $500. But I think it was also the only road bike that would fit me. Yeah. And so I'd had that bike for like a week by the time the race came. It's a little bit different from riding a mountain bike. Yeah. And a little bit different than seeing all these people with disc wheels and right, right. like bikes that make a kind of rumble as they pass you. Yeah. Like one of their pedals costs $500. At least. Yeah. 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 Um, and so once I did that race, I was hooked. I was completely hooked. I was like, I would do another one next weekend. Can we do another one next weekend? That's when I was reminded that these things are actually really expensive. Yeah. So maybe more after grad school. <laughs> Once there's income. Yes. Yes. Which isn't particularly high as a marine biologist. Did, did your husband have the same sort of reaction to it? Was he into it as well? He was into it. But if I were like, I was like all in. Right. And he was like, this is cool. He did them with me. Let's see. We moved to Oregon. I did one there. He didn't. Then when we got to Maine, we both did them for the first few years. And then he just got really into running. He was like, this whole swimming and biking before running thing is ruining the run. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. So. So you became a triathlete. Me. I became a triathlete. Yes. But I mean, you found a passion for it and you pursued that, which is super yeah. commendable. Yeah, I love it. And I love, some people are like, how do you do the training? How do you get yourself out there day after day? And some days, some days, yeah, I'm tired. I don't really feel like it. But once I'm doing it, I just, I love it. It's my play. Yeah. So is is it through triathlon that you started to find this whole story around confidence? Yeah. Yeah. So... When we moved to Maine, I, I was a science writer at the time and I had, I'd been coaching swimming always as a side gig. And so I went to the local Y, asked if they needed help on the swim team. They said, yes, I started coaching the swim team. And then, um, one day I asked why the 12 year old girls weren't doing flip turns. And I was told it's because they didn't have the core strength, which was not true, but I was like, oh, I could teach a, a core class for them. That quickly became a class, a strength training class for middle school girls, which then was extended to ages 12 to 18. 
And I had ended up teaching that class for uh, like eight years. Wow. Then that quickly added on to, then the, the instructor who taught, who was actually the wellness director, who taught the core strength class for adults, kept needing me to sub for her. And so I eventually took that class on and then added another one. At one point, I was teaching eight core classes a week oh. and then added spinning and then added personal training. And, and you're then, still a marine biologist. I'm still, yeah, I'm still science writing. Yeah, okay. And because I, I worked as a marine biologist and then in D.C. And then we moved to Maine and I transitioned to science writing. Okay. And um, then it was through the personal training bit and the triathlon coaching we realized that people needed more from me. They didn't just need the workouts, mm. which wasn't the super fun part anyway. It was they needed like boundaries and they needed to learn to love themselves and put themselves first and believe that they were worthy. What were and the, that, oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm just curious. What were the boundaries that, that they needed? Like, were they overdoing it or was it more about pushing aside other things to make space for themselves? Like what, especially in those teenage girls, like what were the things that you were finding that people weren't creating the right kind of structure and boundaries around that was damaging them? Oh, that's really interesting. So the teenage girls were good. Oh, oh okay. I was expecting they were the ones who were struggling more. No, it was the adults. Oh, wow. The adults that couldn't say no to staying late at work. Mm. Couldn't say no to happy hour with friends. Those, okay. Yeah. So boundaries yeah, around boundaries. taking away the time to invest in themselves, pursue what they cared about by their choice and not because they felt an obligation to somebody else. Exactly. Uh, the teenage girls were amazing. Watching them become more confident and own, own their awesome was super inspiring. Sure. And they were so open. There was one day they all came in and they said, Kelsey, you're my person. Like one after one, uh, after the other said that. And I was like, so uh, what does that mean? And they're like, we talked about suicide prevention in school today. And we all promised to find one adult that we trust. That if we start having suicidal thoughts, we're going to talk to that wow. adult. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, talk about trust and respect and belief in what you what you can do for them yeah wow yes right, so that, that made like powerful. your year yeah yeah i love those girls i'm still in touch with most of them that's awesome but the adults were suffering the adults were suffering hugely they didn't they just didn't honor themselves yeah they thought everything else was more important than them. Mm. And this is at the same time, I saw a post on Facebook by a, a woman that I'd grown up with. We had never been super close friends, but she, like we just always were in the same circles. And she actually is the same person who had gone to, she'd done my grad school program before I had. So I had talked to her about that. And then she posted something on Facebook about she was getting certified as a life coach and had some free sessions to give away. And this was the first I'd ever heard of life coaching. So I reached out and I was like, what is this? What are you doing? 
what does it mean? Where are you getting certified? And she told me about one other program and the program she was doing. I did brief research, had a conversation with the director of IPEC, which is the school I ended up going through, which is the school she had gone through. Like I did a great job as a sales call was like, do you want me to take your credit card number now? I think I said, no, I'll do it myself this afternoon. And I did. I, and then two months later, I did my first weekend long training and was completely in love. Wow. I knew I was exactly where I was supposed to be. Yeah. Were you expecting that at that point? Or was it a surprise to find that? Um, that's a great question. I have no idea. I think I was I was excited, but I had no idea what I was getting into. Okay. I wanted to ask you with the um with the adults, was it all women? At the time, yes. Okay. Have have you worked with men as well? Yeah. I'm curious if you find the same issues or if you're seeing different kind like I know from my coaching, like men and women both have issues, both have mm-hmm. things that they need to work on. But if you've seen a pattern or a difference between the genders. I haven't. I would say that it, it, the issues are very similar. They present slightly differently. Right. Men sometimes don't have the words. Mm-hmm. And women have the words. Sometimes women don't have the words, though. I mean, we're we're taught not to talk about this stuff. Yeah. We're not supposed to talk about how we don't like ourselves. Yeah. Well, I'll tell, I'll tell your whole audience right now that as a kid, I would walk down the hall of school saying, I hate myself. I hate myself. I hate myself saying that out loud. Why? Like this is where I definitely wanted to get into this. Cause we, and we talked about this after we stopped recording when you had me on your show, like this, this is really interesting to me. Um, like, why were you feeling that? Where was it coming from? I was different. I, I stood out. I didn't fit in. And I think I was constantly this, the way I was interpreting the information around me was that everyone else knew what they were doing. Everyone else was a superstar. And I was just trying to figure it out. And now as an adult, I'm like, yeah, I'm still just trying to figure it out. And now I know that everyone else is just trying to figure it out too. No one knows anything. No one has any idea what they're doing. So was it just your height? Was it like, what, what were the sources of you feeling that way? It was my height. It was, I was, I had some learning disabilities Mm -hmm. in first grade we so we were split up into the panda bears and the unicorns and we weren't really supposed to know the difference between these two groups i don't think but i was a panda bear i knew that the unicorns were all sparkly yeah and majestic and panda bears were cute and roly-poly so the goal for the whole school year i think was for the panda bears to learn to read and to read out loud in front of the class and i was a shy kid too Mm. and this was pretty much my worst nightmare and I couldn't read yet so this like the stories I told myself first of all I told myself I wasn't good enough my friends were in the unicorns um I wasn't as smart as them I just wasn't as 
majestic as they were, mm-hmm. as magical as they were. So I'd already told myself that story. And I was like, I can't read. And so I was the last person to go. And the whole class clapped when I finished reading A Dog on a Log. Wow. And so now I can look at that as like, maybe they were clapping because they were proud of me. Maybe they were clapping because they were psyched that the whole thing was over. Maybe they were clapping because Dog on a Log was such a good story. All of those are possibilities. (laughs) They are. But what I clung to is it was a pity clap. They feel Uh, so bad for me because I am so worthless. Wow. That they're clapping for me. I was mortified. And that was the start of my inner critic story. And that, that like, I'm not good enough. You were what, seven years old? Six. Six years old. And you had that profound of a thought about negativity around yourself. Yeah. Wow. Do you have you reflected on it all to know like what would have driven you at that young of an age to feel that way? Like, was that narrative being told to you already? It was, but it the way I interpreted it. Because those words specifically weren't being said, but words like, like, I remember when I visited the school I went to for first through eighth grade, I visited as a kindergartner and everyone else knew what to do. And I was just there as a visitor. And I remember the kindergarten teacher yelling at me because I didn't have sneakers and we're going to gym class. Wow. And I cried. I just bawled. And I don't know if she actually was yelling at me, but I felt like, oh my God, I can't do this and I don't fit in and I'm in trouble. Wow. And it's stories like those. It's the, you know, just the way we interpret it. Yeah. The way we hear things, that that's, that's what creates our inner critic. I think that we all start developing it at like age five, six. Yeah. Oh, completely. And I, and I know there are people who hear that and they're like, oh, come on, toughen up. It's just shoes. Or I don't think, so A, I think people who have that response have their own insecurities that they're not facing. And so they take that kind of reaction as a way of, of almost like turning the attention back away from what they might be holding inside. Yeah. And I also think that most people miss just how much of your your lifelong sense of self is being formed and shaped at ages four or five, six, and little things like that that we say and do to children at that age or that they experience are incredibly definitional and profound. And it doesn't mean it has to be the definition for life, but it does mean that you could be setting them up to have to overcome those feelings later. Yes. And, and we're going to have to, I don't think we can get through this life. I don't think we can get through childhood or teenage years without having an inner critic. Why do and you say I, that? Because I think it's something, it's just a part of us. And some of us work around it. Some of us, like as a coach, I help my clients transform their inner critic mm-hmm. because it's a part of us. It is something, it is something that we've created to protect ourselves. So is so, it inevitable or you're saying it like it's actually not all bad and it's it's a good thing to have it. We just need to learn how to control it. Both. I'm saying that we all have one. 
And it's how I think at some point in our lives, it serves us. But once we start growing, once we start shining, that's when it's really going to start screaming and we'll start hearing it. And if we know that we can do something about it, then do something about it. Hmm. So it like, so my gremlin story was you're not worthy. And that protected me in this. So you got to switch into inner critic logic. It was protecting me by telling me I'm not worthy so that if somebody else told me I wasn't worthy, I wouldn't, it, it wouldn't hurt as badly. Yeah. Because I already knew that. Yeah. We do that all the time. I mean, I, I, even once I lost weight, I still would constantly make comments about being obese because if I said it, then no one else would like, I was robbing other people of the chance to say it, which was much more hurtful. Yeah. But then I just walked around putting out this narrative of like, you know, no, no one looked at me and was like, oh, he's fat. And so it was just like, wow, that guy's super insecure. (laughs) I was just creating a different thing to get judged on. Whereas Mm -hmm. if I just didn't go down that negative self-critic kind of path, no one would have thought anything. It would have just been about like what I was achieving or the good that I was doing and said it was like, wow, he's got issues. But that was your gremlin or inner critic. I use those words interchangeably. Yeah. That was your inner critic just trying to protect you. And it hadn't caught up to the fact that you were no longer obese, that that wasn't working at all anymore. Yeah. Because I had been hurt so many times around the obesity that it was, it's, it's just, it's a protection mechanism. It's like, you know, talking to people who have been um, deceived, whether it's in business or by family members or by, you know, an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend or, or an ex-spouse. And so they go into the next iteration of that kind of relationship with the presumption that they're going to get screwed again. And yes. so, you know, like you've been cheated on, you will accuse, not always, but like quite often you'll be, um, you'll accuse or be weary of your next partner cheating on you, even when they're not. And actually quite often, like you'll end up destroying the relationship completely unnecessarily because you're treating them like a cheater when they're not, you know, they're devoted. They would never do that, but you make them feel that way. Right. Cause you're carrying on the story from your previous partner. Yeah. And you're just protecting yourself from getting screwed again. Yeah. And that earlier partner has nothing to do with your new partner. Yeah. Unless there's something in how you're choosing people and, you know, all that, which, which is why, like, we shouldn't jump from one relationship to the next. And that's work too. Like, if you're in a horrible work environment working with deceitful people, it's still best to go to another job, not from one. So, like, the next job should be about what that opportunity is, not a running away from the current one, because then you make compromises and you choose that next situation based on the insecurities that you're taking with you having not dealt with them yet yeah exactly anytime we see a theme like oh why do why are people always deceiving me check yourself like what are you putting out there yeah what are you creating so that people are deceiving you or you're perceiving that people are are deceiving you so this is a conflict with the self-love story to some people that I talk to about this when they're like, but you just told me, you know, I need to love myself more and be more positive on myself. And now you're telling me that I need to ask, like, what am I doing wrong? 
That's where love. am I screwing up? Yeah, it is. It's being honest with yourself. Yeah. And you can ask yourself in a nicer way. If if the word, if the phrasing of what am I doing wrong makes you feel like a five-year-old being punished, don't use those words. What can I do better? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not yep. like what's wrong with you. It's like, you know, what what can I learn from what just happened? Yeah. What can I learn anytime? There's no such thing as a failure. It's just a learning opportunity. And so how can I learn from this? I just say like, oops, learn from it and move on, pivot. And in terms of like, ask yourself, what am I awesome at? What do I love about myself? Start, we can dig into what do you love about yourself physically? What do you love about yourself like in how you show up and how you interact with other people, what are you really good at? I have a lot of my clients uh, write a brag list. Like what awesome things have you done? Depending on the client, it might be in the last week, yeah, in the last month, in the last year. Sometimes it's like lifetime if they're really struggling. And one of the like gimmies for anyone who's a parent is you kept even if it's not your biological child, you kept this kid alive. Yeah. That is amazing. Think of how miraculous that is. Yeah, it's a question of whether you want to give yourself credit for it. Yes, which can feel so hard. Yeah. But when we don't give ourselves credit, when we don't celebrate ourselves and our accomplishments and our abilities and just the fact that we are that we're here, that we won the lottery in terms of that, like that one sperm that made it to the egg. Somehow we ended up here. We survived this far and so many people don't make it this far. Yeah. You're already winning. Yeah. It's just a question of whether you want to value the spot that you're at. Exactly. And that is, it may be hard, but it's still a choice. Like you can choose to do that if you allow it. Yeah, we can choose every single second of every day. We have a choice, multiple choices. Kelsey, how much do you think in the, in the whole lack of self-love, how much of that is the keeping up with the Joneses and the, the looking around and thinking that everyone's got it so good? Mm, a lot of it. Uh, a lot. Of, we say so the way humans make sense of the world around us is we tell stories. And that's just because our brains can't process all of the information <clears throat> that we're taking in around us. So it's kind of a, a little hack that we've come up with. So there's nothing wrong with making up stories. That's how we make sense of our environment. But we also make up stories about everything we see around us. We get, when we look at people's Instagram feeds, we make up all sorts of stories. And really what they're, what those beautiful photos on Instagram are, are there somebody celebrating the, the beauty in their lives? Mm -hmm. It's somebody actually saying the, look at this amazing thing that I captured in a photo. Mm -hmm. Not, they're not doing it to make you feel bad. Yeah. Um, it is really interesting that, the narrative some people will tell when they're like player hating on people's social media feeds or, or whatever is like, Oh, that's all fake. 
You know, that's not mm-hmm. the way to, okay, well, for three seconds, that is how their life was. And they were happy about it. And do you actually care? Like, what does that mean to your life? Exactly. Just because that person's photo looks a certain way, does that actually have any impact on what you're about to do with yourself? No, that's your choice. Yeah, anytime it feels like somebody is making you feel bad, check yourself and ask, does this even have anything to do with me? Yeah. You know what? It doesn't. One of the things I love to remind everyone, and we used to have this post-it note up in the camper. So we lived in a camper for 16 months traveling around the country. But we had this post-it note that said, what I say is about me. What you hear is about you. I like that. Always remember that. So if you feel like somebody is saying something hateful, guess what? One, that's how you're hearing it. And two, what they say is about them. Has nothing to do with you. Yeah, it's kind of the uh, it's kind of the Carly Simon song. You're so vain. You probably think this song is about yes. you. Yeah, so, dude, I'm not. I'm not like I had a classmate in business school who asked me. Uh, he asked me what I did the other night or whatever, and I was like, oh, you know, I went to the gym. This person was there. That person was there, and he he always had a problem with me. And so finally, I was just like, dude, can we just sit down and talk about it? And he had two things specifically that he really hated about me. And those were his words. One is that I have tattoos and people with tattoos are bad people. Um, Disgusting, um, untrustworthy, whatever. I'm like, okay. Um, So there's one. And, uh, And the other was that night when he asked me what I did. And this was like weeks later. And he still, I mean, it's as if this was going on. I dropped the name of one of the people I mentioned was a girl in our class and there are very few women in our class. So like that, that was such a big deal to him that I was making a point that I could hang out with her and he couldn't. And it was so mean of me to put him down like that. And I was just like, what the, like, what is wrong with you? Like, I promise you there is not an ounce of my being that spent any time to create a narrative that. I was in the gym and these other people were there in the hopes that you would feel inferior as a human being. You asked me a question about what I did and I told you honestly what I did. And that was like, it didn't, I wasn't like, Hmm, what, what can, and I I didn't know he liked her. Like I didn't like, she's just a friend, you know, like I wasn't there, all these machinations that he's presuming are going on for the, the sake of making him feel bad about himself. And what I came to realize is like, actually, he just feels bad about himself full stop. I have nothing to do yeah. with that one way or the other. And he, he's in a slightly different place now, but he really struggled with this all over the place. Like he had issues with everybody because he just assumed everyone was out to make him feel bad. So anyone who was in a relationship, they must be in that relationship so that he felt like he couldn't be. It's like, dude, I promise you, like, people are not getting married in life so that you have to realize that you're not married to that person. Like, that's not, and he's married now and he's got two kids and he's slightly less grumpy, but there's a huge, like, I run into him every now and then. There's a, there's a huge story of lack of self-respect, lack of self-worth, and it's manifested in this really nasty outward relationship to people, this presumption that everyone does everything they do to make him feel bad about himself. And it's like, at some point you got to realize, dude, 
that's not like it's you making yourself feel bad about yourself. It is. And then there's the other piece that a lot of things people say that people say out loud, they say to other people, they're just not thinking about how somebody else could interpret it. Yeah. I had somebody in my in my Facebook group yesterday share she just DNF'd, which is did not finish her first race. Um, the first time she's been racing for 14 years and she had her first DNF. And she wanted some help navigating that. And she was also like, and it doesn't help the people who said that they just were out for a training day or it it felt really easy and they ended up on the podium. Mm. And the thing we talked about with that is people aren't really thinking about what they're saying. They're just so in their own head that they're trying to rationalize oh, if I was that successful, it must not have been that hard. Mm. There's just people have their own stories and their own stories are so loud that they just can't even take the extra step to realize like, oh, wow, if I say this out loud to somebody else, that actually can come across as really insulting to them. Yeah. Yeah. I went through that. Chicago Marathon, it went horribly for me. I was like an mm-hmm. hour slower than I I planned to be or I thought I would be or that, you know, my training would suggest I would be. And I was so negative on it. And that's all I could talk about. And a couple of the people who asked me how it went had run marathons. And I gave them the whole, you know, sa- sad song about like the how terrible it was. And I almost dropped out and I had to walk part of it and blah, blah, blah. And they were like, yeah, you know, when I when I did this marathon and um, you know, it was really hard too. And I'm like, oh, how'd you do? And it's like a half an hour slower than me, an hour slower than me. I'm like, yeah. oh, I feel like a jerk right now. Yeah. Cause it just I, I had it didn't cross my mind at all. It was in my own head about how it went. And yeah, we don't we we don't think about that, but A, we could be more sensitive. Um, sometimes like when you're just done with a race, you don't, especially a long one, like you don't necessarily have the mental capacity to think clearly enough to know like, ah, maybe I shouldn't say this. Um, but we also like, we can't control what other people say and do. So the only thing that we're left with is controlling how we react to it and interpret it and realize like, you know what, the world is not as much as it feels like, cause you're living your show. Like the world is not here as a, an adjunct to your existence. So people aren't saying and doing things strictly for the reaction or the feelings it may cause on your side. So choose to react differently to it. Yeah. I mean, some people find it really helpful to go stare at the ocean for a little while just to remember how small we are. Yeah. Go get in the woods and just see what a tiny piece of this world we are. It doesn't mean you can't make a huge impact just means we're all in this together. Yeah. So I will, I will explain now why I was intimidated by you. <laughs> okay. Um, I feel horrible that you were no, intimidated you, by me. You have no reason to feel horrible about it. You didn't do anything, but it's exactly what we're talking about is, you know, here I am very recently obese. It sounds like recently divorced, but like recently <laughs> um, de-obese. I don't know what, how, to, how to describe that. Um, And then, you know, I look around, it's like, I'm in college with all these, you know, good looking people who are super social and 
and I'm not. And, you know, they all drink and laugh and they all want to be around each other. And I don't do any of those things. And, and then there's other people who are like insane athletes and look like they've got it all figured out and, you know, like they don't have to work hard for it and their bodies are built exactly to perform as the way they're. So then it's like, you know, there's this tall, super fit girl who's like, you, you must have it so easy with that. And, and I'm struggling to just not be fat. Um, and that was like, it, w- it wasn't an anger or anything, but it was just like, you know, there's, there's one of these people who's just naturally like super athletic and fit and I'll never be that. And, and yeah, like, you know, there's an intimidation factor for me because I was so insecure about myself. And it wasn't just you. It wasn't like focused on like, oh, there's that girl who's tall and I don't know her name, but she scares the crap out of me. It's like, you know, anyone who was like super fit and, and, uh, you know, the, I know, um, it's really funny. I don't know what it is about women at Bowdoin who intimidated me, but I ended up working with another one, this woman, Jen, who was on the cross country team and same thing. Like, I think I might've known her name eventually. Um, but I never spoke to her never, she's a couple of years ahead of me, but, um, we ended up working together and it's just funny. Like, you know, your, my sense of her was completely flawed because mm-hmm. I went in with my insecurity and looked at her through that lens and presumed everything under the sun about what she must be. Not like a bad person or anything like that, but just like, oh, you know, she doesn't have anything she struggles with. Life must be so easy. Like she's just fit and like she can run and I can't do that. And you don't know. Yeah, that's what we do. Yeah. I just like, yeah, humans are just ridiculous. We are really funny creatures. Mm -hmm. I remember I was, I dated a guy who ran track. And I was so intimidated by the whole track team, Mm -hmm. all of them. It scared me that they could all run so easily, so fast. And you know what? Now I think I might be able to keep up with them, but I still tell myself these stories that like, oh no, they're super fast, super talented. Running comes easy to them. They have everything together. Yeah. I think that's the story we tell ourselves in college. Yeah. You might be able to outrun them now based on some of the photos I see of the <laughs> former athletes on Facebook. And, um, yeah, who that, knows? Yeah. It is actually, it is really common how people transform over their lives and what we think someone is. And then you see them at a reunion or something and they're night and day. And either it's just because like life hit them and they were sort of mindlessly going through the motions and that's, a lot of the people that I work with are kind of like, I don't know what happened to me. You know, I like, I've got a, a couple of um, former collegiate athletes who are now in their forties or fifties who are just like night and day different. You know, one of them's diabetic, like just completely different physically. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a big part of their identity back then. And they just sort of fell into life and never really stopped to think again until they had this either forced or um, kind of just waking up to it and being like, where like what the heck just happened here you know like either you're forced into having the realization or for whatever reason you come to wake up and and you're like i I don't know why i'm doing what i'm doing but i don't like it and i want better um so it is it is really interesting to see that like people who had it one way and everyone knew them as like you know the athlete or the super smart person or the whatever and fast forward like life is a great equalizer or or reverser of roles. It it is and that makes me think of how triathlon is a funny sport 
because it's kind of, you're doing all these, you're doing three sports and ideally you're really good at all of them. But what tends to happen, you start feeling like you're just kind of mediocre at all of them (laughs) because you can't, like, you're not training like a swimmer. You're not training like a biker or a runner. And so I had this realization like a few years ago, I was frustrated. There were people who hadn't swam in college who were faster than me in the pool. And I was like, yeah, but you know what? They have been swimming. They swim like five days a week. I swim three days a week. They've been swimming now, even though they didn't swim in college, they've now been swimming 20 years. And I haven't been a a like quote unquote real swimmer for 20 years. Mm. It's now been almost an equal amount of time. Oh, uh, actually, I didn't start something competitively until I was nine. So I've been a non-competitive swimmer, still training in the pool, still training with people who are faster than me. Mm-hmm. But I have to remind myself, I'm no longer training like a swimmer. Stop comparing myself to who I was before. I heard this great quote. Shoot, I can't remember who said it. Um, but he said, it's not a comeback. All right, it's a comeback. It's not a go back. So when we, when we're launching a comeback, however we want to define that, whether it's like coming back from an injury, whether it's after a a relationship blew up or job change or whatever, we tend to think we want to go back to the place where we were before. We want to get back to that same level. Why must we limit ourselves? Yeah. We don't have to. We don't have to go back to that place. We can pivot. We can go in a completely different direction. We can catapult way past where we were before. Yeah. We don't have to go back to that same old limit. Yeah. Just because it seemed good at the time doesn't mean that you can't do more or different or better. Yeah. Whatever ended, ended for a reason. Mm. It ended so you could have the opportunity to make some changes. Yeah. And those changes will take you to a different place. I really and like you that. You always need to know where that place is. Yeah. Just be open to it. Yeah. Be open. Start following the breadcrumbs and see where you end up. So I wish I'd heard that a long time ago. It's worked out okay. But I think I mentioned when we talked last time, maybe I've had surgery 15 times. Mm-hmm. And um, mo- most of those have been since I lost weight and got more active. And so like... I just had my last one in October. And so it's very much like I had gotten to a really good place with running and then I had knee surgery. And then it's like, you know, well, leading up to the surgery, I had to stop running and then, you know, had the surgery. So I had many months off and I'm rebuilding now and I'm like, you know, here I go again. I'm never going to get back to where I was and it's in such a good place. And, and I'm already back there. Like I've, I have other reasons why I'm not necessarily performing as well as I was. I'm a lot more tired. I'm going a lot harder in the rest of my life, but controlling for that, I'm easily outperforming where I was at before. And that was also a comeback from the last recovery I had. And, you know, I ended up doing a marathon after that. And I was like, oh, you know, this is terrible. I've given up so much fitness. And lo and behold, like, I, I, I hadn't even contemplated doing a marathon when I went into my last, the not the last knee surgery, the one before that. It's just confusing because there's so many knee surgeries. <laughs> But it's like, 
you know, that sense of, of feeling a loss for something that's from before and wishing mm-hmm. you can go back from that. Like the, the period between my last two knee surgeries is a great example of if I had really lived that mentality, I never would have done a marathon. I never would have, you know, achieved a number of things. Wouldn't have written a book. Like there's so many things that have come from that, from not allowing myself to just focus on like, oh, there was that point in time. I wish it was then. Yeah, because we we know what we did before. Yeah. So that's where we can find the certainty. If we go back to what we were before, then we already know how to do that. We've done it before. We know the drill. But if we allow ourselves to be open to possibilities, we write books, we start podcasts, we run marathons. We have completely different perspectives. Yeah. So in the spirit of following the breadcrumbs and not going back, what what are you up to? Like, what's your next path? Or do you know it? Are you just going forward and adding every day? Or is there some something you're working towards? That's a good question. I'm a... Well, hmm. It's a okay, terrible gonna... question. That's like asking a high school senior what they're going to do with their life. <laughs> it's a yeah, mean it's a question. question. Yeah. I don't know. I tend to, I was going to say I'm a big picture person, which I am. And at the same time, I realized that right now I'm, I'm kind of in a phase of doing the work and then looking up and being like, Oh, cool. I'm here. Mm. I, we just moved to Sarasota, Florida in January. I'm still getting my bearings here. Um, I'm creating some new programs in my business. I'm, I'm loving my podcast. I'm doing some speaking gigs. I'd like to do more of those. And I'm totally open to possibilities because so I started my podcast a year or last summer, summer of 2017. Mm. And we were living in a camper at the time. I had this story that, well, I can't start it until I have all the audio equipment. And I definitely can't start it when we're living in this tiny camper and traveling all over the place and have horrible Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. And a friend challenged me. She was like, try it. See how the audio is. So I did it with the headphones from my computer, the uh, hot spotting mm-hmm. from my phone, and it worked. So, you know, I never thought I'd be a podcast host by now. So I'm just open to possibilities. And I think that sometimes we... I know I will be like, I want to do this, whatever this is like, I want to speak more. I'll start that next year or I'll Mm -hmm. get at the end of the year. But you know, sometimes the opportunity just comes earlier. And sometimes we just have to sometimes always just jump, Yeah, just jump. and, And again, own the fact that we have no idea what we're doing. Yeah. And the thing is, if it doesn't work out, like if you put in that effort and the audio wasn't good enough or the Wi-Fi cut out too much or whatever, like, okay, well, you weren't doing a podcast yet. So are you actually any worse off? Exactly. It's because it's all an experiment. Yeah. You just have to be okay with whatever the outcome is either way. Like either you've learned something or you've learned something and you are and you have that thing that you didn't think you could have yet. So it's kind of win-win either way, but for our insistence that there's some potential loss, it's like the worst thing that happens is it's exactly the same as it is right now. That's it. Yeah. 
And that's something I, I ask my clients a lot of times. So what's the worst that can happen from this? Yeah. And once we say out loud what that worst thing could be, we realize that worst thing really isn't so bad. It isn't so scary. And it's totally worth taking the big leap to find out what could be possible on the other side. The worst thing is usually whatever your insecurity is about. That like yes. you'll say you're doing something and you fail at doing it. And so everyone knows you fail. Well, okay, first of all, again, back to our point before, do you actually think everyone is that consumed with your life that that's all they're thinking about? They're not going to care. And if they're good people who should be in your life, they're going to pat you on the back and support you through it. They're not going to sit there pointing and laughing. So There's also the, when you tell everyone that you're doing something, how many people actually notice when yeah. we, so we traveled for 16 months and then we bought a house in Sarasota, shared that on social media and like, like three months later, I had people being like, wait, you bought a house? You're somewhere? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, it's just a good reminder that not everyone sees every single thing you post on social media, even though it feels like it. Right. Very People true. have lives. They're getting out there and getting after them. All right. So we, we need to wrap this up. Um, and we probably need to do this again. Um, cause otherwise I think it'd be like three hours from now and we're still just agreeing with each other, but it's good <laughs> stuff. Um, so where, where can people find you and find out more about find your awesome? So my website is kelseyabbott.com Instagram. It's Kelsey Abbott CPC. What does Facebook, CPC stand for? Certified professional coach. Kelsey Abbott was taken. Okay. In every variation. There is a BMX biker. Oh, cool. Kelsey Abbott. See if you had and, kept that mountain bike. Yeah. Yeah. She's younger than me. And I think she was really hardcore. Probably. There's also, there's a lot of Kelsey Abbott's doing cool stuff. There's also, because I, they screw up their email addresses. Uh, so I get their emails. One of them seems to be a, something in Hollywood. I think somebody's agent. Because okay. I get invited to some parties sometimes. You should go. You know but I just, just I just up. found out you're in Sarasota, so I thought you know you were all over the place and you could just show up. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Kelsey so Abbott CPC on Instagram. Yeah, and then on Facebook, I'm Kelsey Abbott, and you can find my business page is Find Your Awesome, and I've got a free Facebook group, Find Your Awesome with Kelsey Abbott, and the Find Your Awesome podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Which I love your podcast. There's a a freeness about how you, if that's a word, um, it is now probably, it probably isn't, but it is now you're right. Um, self-love there, there's just this freeness about how you, um, I was going to say structure the interviews, but it's, it's not structured. And that's the point is like, there's a really natural way that the real message comes out and it's just cool to listen to the conversation. So I've, I really enjoyed it and I'm glad that you're still doing it and that you got the Wi-Fi to work and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it is awesome, and it's it's definitely worth listening to. I, I've enjoyed it a lot, so I'm glad you're still doing it. Thank you, and there's a really good episode with you on there. Yeah, it's quality stuff. It is. No, we. Yeah. It, I mean, it's, I enjoyed doing the episode too. But like, you know, in prep for that, and since then, um, I've kept the subscription going. So it's been it's been cool to hear it. You have some pretty awesome. some pretty awesome guests that it's hard not to walk away being pretty charged up after each episode. So I appreciate that. 
It is. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's one of the things I talk about in terms of still, I think it was before we hit record that we were talking about. I am not looking at the numbers yet for my podcast. I'm just loving doing it. And I love the conversations. And then when I go edit afterwards and try and take some notes for show notes, grab some quotes and stuff, I'm still so inspired by the conversations. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what you want. Yeah. When that stops being fun, then it's time to pivot. Yeah. Well, I hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> Thank you. Me too. Right now. Yes. But we'll see. Um, but people do need to go check it out, subscribe, and listen. Whether you listen to my episode or not, I don't really care. Um, you should, but there's plenty of good stuff out there. Um, and not everybody's a triathlete. Mm -mm. But you do no, have some... only have two, three. Well, just, the, yeah. I should have four. bike envy. So that's well, what that's like. that's a real thing. It is. That's why I don't like to look at your Instagram feed. <laughs> They've been minimal bike pictures lately. Yeah, I find them one. I've been cutting back on it. Good. <laughs> I had, um, you know, I did a race in Miami last fall, and there was a guy who they did really great security to check your bike out, and you had to match your number, I think you had to be wearing your wristband to pick up your bike because your number was on your wristband. And this one guy didn't have his wristband. And the security guard was like, show me, do you have your phone? Show me a picture of your bike. He's like, if you don't have a picture of your bike, you're not a real triathlete and this is not <laughs> your bike. It was such a brilliant, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully it's a picture of, of him on his bike. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Cool. I, like I said, like I, I could, I could keep talking. And even if we talked about your bike and I had some envy, I would still keep talking to you and I'm not intimidated by you at all anymore. Good. I have grown up. Um, <laughs> but thank you for being on Kelsey. I really have appreciated it. And, uh, and all that you've shared, like, it's definitely, it's, I mean, I, I talk a lot about self-love and, um, I think you just got into a much bigger reason why it matters and what the cost is of not having it, but also, you know, how you can go about building the right kind of view of yourself. And that's really crucial for people. Thanks. I think we, we tend to think of self-love as selfish and it's not, it's necessary. Yeah. We have to love ourselves before we can really, truly love other people. Yeah. We're a lot more enjoyable to be around and we can do so much more for the world when we actually care about ourselves. Yeah. I, that's well said. Good. And that's a good place to end before I say <laughs> something that's not well said. Um, <laughs> awesome. Thank you for doing this. And, um, I always try to like lead into it smoothly, but I'm giving up on that. And I'm just going to say today's a new day. Go out and do it. Awesome. Thank you, Kelsey. Thanks, Brian. How awesome was Kelsey? Is that not great? It's what I was telling you. Like, just the way that she tells her story, gives her message, tries to help you figure out your story and your message and why all of that matters and why you actually should value yourself and have that self-confidence and what you can do as a result of having that. It's awesome. It's just so, like, it's natural. You know, she doesn't, she doesn't put it on you. So I'm glad that I got to share that with you. I hope you all took something from it. And be sure to follow her and you can get more info about everything at KelseyAbbott.com, K-E-L-S-E-Y-A-B-B-O-T-T.com. 
and yeah, definitely follow her on Instagram and um, check her out on Facebook. And I'll put the links that she mentioned in the show notes so you can get them super easy. And if you got a lot out of that and want to keep getting more, definitely subscribe to this podcast. I will continue to bring you people like Kelsey and like some of the other amazing guests that I've had who have a real story of what they've been through, what they've learned as a result, and how you can take that learning to achieve more in your life. I love doing that. I mean, that's like, that's the whole story behind do a day for me. So if the show is, is really clicking for you and you want to subscribe, awesome. If you want to go deeper then pick up do a day at doadaybook.com or wherever you like to get books in any format you like. And if you're ready to take some of those first steps, I keep mentioning this, but there's a reason it's because it's really valuable. Check out the big goal exercise. It's an easy starter to just get yourself down that path. Doadaybook.com slash the exercise. Download it. It's free. Spend some time with it. You don't owe me any answers. You owe yourself the answers. And if you don't think that you're worth that kind of investment, then we should probably talk some more because I promise you, and, and as Kelsey would have said the same thing, you're definitely worth it. You're, in fact, the most important person to get that investment in your life before you can invest in anyone else in your life. So, Take some time for you because today is a new day and you can really go out and do it. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day.